Marvelites, and Happy New Year! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List, and I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. The M, if you didn't know, stands for Medusa. Don't mm. stare at Ryan directly in his eyes. Turn you to stone, baby! Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is true. It's always true. Every time mm-hmm. we say it, it's true. It's all true. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are here back for another year on this wonderful show, which is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics, talking about all them lovely, just weird comics. We're going to run you through all the picks of the week. We've got three of them. There's some really good ones. I'll tell you about all the other books that are out this week. Give you our award for all those books. We'll tell you what collections are on sale, what comics are new to Marvel Unlimited, what Infinity Comics are being added to Marvel Unlimited, and so much more, including a reading club. Yes, the first reading club of the year. We're going to be talking about Timeless, issue number one, both a 2022 and 2023 issue. So if you haven't picked that issue up yet, highly recommend you get it. But both are written by Jed McKay, and we'll be talking to him about his work. I will say, Jasmine is not a time traveler. Jasmine, you meant 2021 and 2022 issues of Timeless. (laughs) Let me retake that. Time, what is time? What is time? That's a question we would ask Kang, and maybe we will ask Kang, a.k.a. Jed McKay, a little bit later in the show. But for now, we've got to dive into our picks of the week, and we're going to start off with Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, number eight. Holy moly, I can't stop myself from choosing this book. It's so good. It is written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, with art by Carmen Carnero, colors by Nolan Woodard, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, and I think... Carmen may be collectively our favorite artist in comics right now. Yes. And as soon as I opened up my pick of the week, which I'll talk about next, it's a tie for me, actually. Look, to be fair, we get hit with that. Oh, this is my favorite artist constantly. Yes. But I've been thinking about Carmen's work since I read the issue a couple of days ago. She does all the things that we talk about on Mm -hmm. this show so often. The acting, those quiet moments, those moments where you have just two characters hanging out talking. There's a scene in here with Sharon Carter and Steve Rogers, and they're talking. The way that Carmen draws Steve's hair, like long strands of his hair flopping down his face, the way he's thinking, the way he's looking at Sharon and like being in love, the way Sharon moves, and she's got all this like attitude and ability, and she's got a lot that she is saying a lot of things, but they don't always match, and that comes across in her language, her body language. It's fantastic stuff. And then you still get big, beautiful splash pages. I'm looking at one now of Emma Frost and another mutant character coming in. And it's incredibly sexy, super dynamic, beautifully put together. And then a couple of pages later, we get to a sequence that is pure nightmare. And it is my favorite kind of nightmare. I love it. Because if you've seen the cover, you think, hmm, is there a MODOK? In this issue, ooh, everybody, you better believe there's a MODOK in this issue. And I say a MODOK because this is something beautiful and horrifying. And <laughs> I need I need more of this in my life. Big shout out to Nolan Woodard, the colorist here, because that sequence in particular really sings thanks to the deep reds, the beautiful blues and the whites and the way it all contrasts. It is a very very, very special couple of pages in this issue. And then you come out of it and it's characters just reeling, reeling from some activities. And again, Carmen does some really beautiful work 
giving their emotions full display without having to crowd a page. It's really spectacular work. Colin Kelly, Jackson Lansing doing great work, adding a lot of spice, a lot of action, a lot of intrigue. We don't even get a bit of Bucky in this issue, but we get the specter of Bucky throughout it. And then, and then Jasmine, that final page. Oh, man. I don't get started. God, that book is so good. It's stupid how good it is. Okay, but my pick of the week, though, still Scarlet Witch number one, because I have been waiting for this book for so long. It is written by Steve Orlando with art by, this is the artist that I was talking about, Sarah Pichelli. Like, as soon as I opened this book and I saw her art again, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I love this book art so much the amount of stuff that she shows and like demonstrates in this book she shows how she can do so many different things like whether Mm -hmm. that's like an amazing action sequence like at the beginning of this book when you open it up you see scarlet witch taking on this giant kaiju who is pretty much attacking this like yacht i guess it's not a yacht as much as it is like a like a cruise ship and it's being snapped in half by this kaiju and like you go from that to like a very subtle like more of like a witchcraft type shop very low-key where wanda is currently doing her business out of it's the emporium she's opened up this witchcraft shop where she is employed our friend darcy who you might recognize making her marvel comics debut i believe in this issue which is awesome to see her in action here. We don't quite get the whole reason why she's here, but there's a little bit of a mystery there that I'm excited to see developed as the story continues. I adore this issue, not only because I love Scarlet Witch and I love Wanda, but I love that we're, we're starting to open a new chapter with Wanda. Now we're kind of moving past all the tragedy that she's been through and really developing her character more as she's helping other people who have hit that low point in their life. Not only has she opened this store, But she has a magic door and this magic door will open for people who are lost. They will find themselves here. And the story in this issue is a character who is struggling to not only help her city, but help her wife from this mystery trance that they're in. My absolute favorite three panel strip is at the top of one of these pages shows that that character kind of reacting to, you know, the fact that she just told Wanda this crazy story and you just see three little bubbles above each one of them and it's pretty much saying like we believe you here like we believe women here and I immediately screenshotted that sent it to Steve and like just sent him a heart because I was like I adore this like this is beautiful thank you for this book I think we need this book right now and I am so excited to see how it develops in the future it was great. It was great. It was what we were hoping for, but so much more. There's something happening with this book and what Wanda's going to be doing. I can't wait for more. Okay. Third pick of the week. I will tell you, as much as I love this, it hit me in the gut when I got to the end. I'm talking about Shang-Chi, Master of the Ten Rings, number one, written by Jean Luen Yang, art by Michael Eag, Eric Arseniega, and protobunkers Fair Suintes Suho are the colorists, and lettering by VCs Travis Lanham. And I say that this issue hit me in the gut is because I was reading this. I was like, holy crap, this is a great first issue. This series is going to be so (laughs) good. I can't wait to see where they go with this. What? Wait, wait, what's going on? Wait. Okay. All right. All right. We're going to come back to this. We're going to do it. And then end. It just says end at the end. And then there's an afterword by Jean Luen Yang, who's been on the show, who's an amazing writer. We love him. I was like, no. And then I realized We've gotten 24 issues I know. of Shang-Chi comics written by Jin Wen Yang with amazing art by DK Ruan and Marcus Toe and here Michael and more. We were blessed with really great comics, but I think 
the thing about it is this feels like such a great finale to a whole mm-hmm. saga, huge character development and establishment for Shang-Chi in the comics, giving him a place and really reestablishing who he is in the broader scope of the Marvel Universe and ultimately putting him on a much bigger stage, giving Big him time. great supporting characters. His whole family having been established over the course of these what three, four series Mm-hmm. And now where they are with the Five Rings Society, all that, Shang-Chi's actual Ten Rings weapon, bringing mm-hmm. that into the Marvel Universe. The thing about this issue is it's so emotionally charged because Shang-Chi gets to see his father. His father's been dead for a long time and there's a whole bunch of things going on and there's a a lot of things I don't want to spoil about it. Especially through the captions and the interior monologue that Gene gives to Shang-Chi throughout the sequences. He's with his father. It's like, oh, oh, I love this. It's so, in greatest ways, devastating. Because think about the opportunity if you had to go see a parent or someone you love or someone you just have some sort of connection to and you really want to know them in new ways Having that opportunity gives Shang-Chi a really interesting story for this issue. I don't want to give too much away. It is just, it's tremendous. It's tremendous. I'm glad that you said that because I recently went through, my grandfather passed away not too long ago. And the first thing I thought of, like, you know, everybody comes up to me and like wants to tell me all these stories that they have of him. I knew a different version of my grandfather. There's this whole history of my grandfather that I only know of just because of like the result, right? Like he immigrated here to the country. He had to like do all this crazy stuff. You know, the first couple of years that he was in the US by himself. And like, I would give anything to like go back in time and meet that version of my grandfather. That's what this book reminded me of is like, they have a a life before you came around. They've experienced all this like loss. They've experienced all of these like sacrifices and it makes them who they are by the time that you meet them. But like, Man, I wouldn't give anything to meet that version. Amen. Well said. All right. That is it for our picks of the week. But now we got to talk about awards, Ryan. All right. Yeah. It is time for last week's award, which was the There's a Brood Queen Under My Bed Award. And that was from New Mutants number 33. A great one. And it was a tough week, I think, because a lot of people are celebrating the holidays and all that good stuff. But we did have a winner, and it was Sarah at Sarah Plain Tired, who said, I got one. I know I'm probably well too late to win, but I wanted to play along anyway. Sarah, you ding dang did it. Good job to you. And we also saw one of our listeners, Captain Geek, chime in and say that uh, he had a guess about it. But Captain Geek, you didn't get it right. And that's okay. Thanks for playing along. That's the thing. Anyone has the possibility of finding it because you're reading the comics, which we always appreciate. Ryan, are you ready for this week's award name? Sure am. We're going to be giving out the Never Speak Ill of a Tiara Award. Ooh, it's a good one. It's a good Mm -hmm. one. I can't wait for everyone to find it. And if you are among the first, then I need you to find that quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent Emin at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's Pull List. Or even better, email us at polllist at marvel.com. Again, if you're among the first, I'll send you something. All right, we've got a bunch of great issues this week, including the next part of Avengers Assemble crossover between the Avengers titles. It is Avengers number 64, and I'm going to give my Never Speak Ill of a Tiara award to the reveal of a character in this issue. There's a 
big player, someone who's been doing a lot of stuff across this storyline. And I was completely caught by surprise by their revelation, by who it was, by what was going on here. It was tremendous. I'm trying not to give anything away, but if you are a fan of all the different sides of the Marvel Universe coming together, whether you got Avengers, X-Men, you know, FF, Mystical, all these types of things, this series has been doing it really, really well. And this character here just came out of left field for me. I loved it. Loved it. All right. Next up, we have Captain Marvel number 45. And I'm going to give my Never Speak Ill of a Tiara award to Psylocke, who's done the thing that I think all of us have thought about doing, which is take a knife to Gambit's head. Truly. It's what we need. Yeah. All right. On to Fantastic Four number three, which was nearly one of our picks of the week. Not this week. Sorry, Ryan North. But fortunately, it is a great issue and I really, really loved it. I want to give a special shout out to Alex Ross variant cover for this issue, which is a black and white cover of Ben Grimm, the thing. And he's got his hands on his head. It's one of the most striking Ben Grimm images I've ever seen. It's something special. But I'm going to give my Never Speak Ill of a Tiara Award to Johnny Storm's facial hair. Everything about Johnny Storm in this is glorious. His ideas for what he's Um, doing. Excuse me? I think you mm -hmm. mean Jonathan Fairweather? Jonathan Fairweather. It's so good. He comes up with a bunch of aliases in this, dear listener, and they're terrific. It is drawn by Iban Coelho, and it is really something special we're getting close to the core of what the heck's been going on with the ff so next issue i think we're gonna know more all right next up we have gold goblin number three and i've been really digging the series i think it's like a sleeper hit i think people need to pick this up for sure because the amount of dialogue and like just quality dialogue that's in this book and the the amount of situations that you know norman osborne has kind of been put into and having to reconcile have been fascinating and in this book, I'm going to give my award to Chris Cantwell because there's a scene where Norman Osborn is talking to Normie about his father, about Harry Osborn, and having to explain to a child what has happened with their relationship, keep things a secret, maybe omit some things here and there is just a delicate balance. And it is devastating when you see this because there's so many internal dialogue moments Mm. here that are crushing and for it to all unfold at normie's birthday party is even worse for sure got a new number one this week with joe fix it number one which is one of our series where we bring creators back to tell stories set in the past a bit that are in continuity but set you know in older stories this time we're going into the 90s where in incredible hulk the hulk was gray And he was using the persona of Joe Fixit in Las Vegas, which is really fun, has been revisited a little bit. But now we're getting Peter David to revisit it personally, the one who created the whole thing. We get a little bit of info on that in the back. But this surprised the heck out of me. I really, really dug this one. I wasn't sure because, I don't know, I'm more into like most of the time, let's look forward and see what new stories we're doing. But going back... When we do these, adding new threads, finding new ways to fit this into it really, really works here. And it brings in the Kingpin. And all I will say is the Kingpin mixed up with Joe Fixit is something I didn't know I wanted, but absolutely love. Yes. I'm going to give my Never Speak Ill of a Tiara award to Wilson Fisk and what happens with him, to him, and around him, this issue and going forward. All right, next up, we have Marauders number 10. And there's a lot of time travel stuff going on in here. With that comes some sacrifices, right? I want to give my Never Speak Ill of a Tiara award to this like sweet, just beautiful moment between my baby girl Tempo and Thea 
and the moment that they share together in the past. But at the same time, like I don't want to give it to that because what happens at the end of this issue is crushing, but also a just giant roller coaster. So just brace yourself for this one because it, it kind of stung a little bit. Mm. Mm. We've got Planet Hulk World Breaker number three on the docket this week. I will give my Never Speak Ill of a Tiara award to the return of one of Hulk's true crew members, one of his rider dies. His true homies. They return here in this issue. And there's a whole bunch of wild stuff going on. The title World Breaker is definitely coming true in this series. This is another one. This is, again, a, a series that goes into the past, connects again to classic stories. But I like what Greg Pak, the writer here and the team are doing because they said it way in the future and sort of taking a different path with it. It's really cool. Cannot agree with more. Next up, we have Secret Invasion number three. And there's a couple of things I want to give my award to. I want to give my Never Speak Ill of a Tiara award to Ryan North for somehow managing to weave some of the events that happen in Squirrel Girl, which are obviously canon, but he just weaves it in so naturally into the story and how Squirrel Girl connects to Iron Man. But also I want to give it to the fact that like it shows that Ryan North manages to show change in a person and just like evolution. Because in this story, not only do we get Tony Stark kind of like admitting that he has some prejudices, that not only that he does he admit, but is working on and has continued to work on since the events of Secret Invasion the first time around, but is also, you know, helping other people admit that bias and try to move past it and move forward into a better place. But for all the stuff that's going on in this whole book, like, Oh my God, I love this book so much. It is a spy thriller. And if you're not reading this, you should absolutely be picking this up. Could have been a pick of the week. Yeah, it was great. We've got Spider-Man number four this week. I will say this, the cover of the issue teases and it says, Peter Parker is no more. Meet our new Spider-Man. And I'm going to give my never speak ill of a tiara award to the revelation of who this new Spider-Man is. I could see Dan Slott cackling and spinning oh, yeah. around if his like writing chair is a spinny chair he was 100 spinning around in circles after writing these scenes and this issue and well deserved it was great it gave me the giggles all right next up we have star wars number 30 and i've really enjoyed this issue because we just left this like glamorous previous issue in issue number 29 and we're following the crew as they go into no space and they're kind of encountering things that they're not familiar with It's a part of space that is very desolate. And some of the interactions that happen here are just funny. But I have to give my Never Speak Ill of a Tiara Award to just the quips that we get from Lando in this issue because just pure excellence. Uh, When talking about doohickeys, which is clearly some type of piece that's important to a ship, like in its engine, he refers to it as a doohickey and continues to bring the knowledge by saying that we have to be careful with doohickeys. Thank you. Thank you, Lando. Very important. Careful with doohickeys, guys. Definitely be careful with them doohickeys. We've got Ultraman, the mystery of Ultra 7, number five this week. This is the final part of this limited series. I will give my Never Speak Ill of a Tiara award to the formation of the Ultra Guard, which is a cool name. It's a cool crew. Emotionally, it fits in really well. There's some funny moments in here. I think there's a lot of great setup for all of this. I, I really dug this. I think it brings everything together wonderfully. Especially, again, the emotional core of what's been going on with Ultra 7 is fully explained here. And I think even if you are not a big Ultraman normal reader, that will hit home for a lot of people. That said, I will also give a bonus one to the teaser image we get for the Ultras crossing over with the Marvel Universe. 
A little teaser right at the end, coming in 2023. This was announced earlier this year, so it's not a like super news thing. But to see it, I'm very excited. Fun, fun. All right, next up we have X-Force number 36. This could have also been a pick of the week. But I have to give my Never Speak Ill of a Tiara award to Deadpool, giving Domino a glow up. The first thing you see when you open up this book is him using a beauty sponge and giving Domino a makeover, claiming that he had just watched 30 seconds of a YouTube glow up tutorial. And so he's pretty much a makeup artist. Love it. (laughs) We've got X-Men Legends number five. And y'all, do you know how hard it was for me not to pick this issue as one of my picks of the week? This is in my DNA as a comic book fan. This is right before the events of Uncanny X-Men 281, 282, 283, which were some of my favorite issues I read growing up. Bishop was one of my favorite characters because his introduction into the X-Men, into comics, was right as I was really rising as a comic book reader. And Wills Portacio's art blew me away, just destroyed me. So good. And to see Wills come back here as co-writer and to draw this story that gives us the lead in to how he like traveled back in time, how Bishop Malcolm and Randall rest in peace, my sweet boys, how Bishop Malcolm and Randall came to our era. This is so up my alley. If you just like shoved it in my face, it would just be absorbed into my being. I love this so much. If you are a nineties X-Men reader, if you don't read this, you're disowned by all of X fandom. It was really good. And I'm going to give my award to the entire friggin' book because it is perfection and I love it so much. <laughs> Giving my Never Speak Ill of a Tiara award to all of X-Men Legends number five. It is beautiful. Look at Bishop's mullet. It is so it's, great. It is gorgeous. His handkerchief, like a scarf around his neck, his giant guns, his big ass thighs, everything about this issue screams, love me. Love it. All right. Last up, we have X-Men Red number 10. This could have also been a pick of the week because it has multiple storylines kind of coming to a close here. We get to see what happens with Abigail Brand, finally. We get a payoff there. We get to see all the stuff that's been going on with Vulcan and Storm, and it ends in this ginormous galactic battle that is just beautiful. The amount of dialogue that Al writes in this book is so gorgeous. There's so many one-liners that could have easily been our award. I could see it already be like things that people are going to quote in the future because they're just gorgeously written. But I absolutely have to give my Never Speak Ill of a Tiara award to another glow up in this issue, and that is Cable's new look in this book is so badass and it is so like on brand and I don't expect anything less, but it is amazing. All right. Those are some good books to kick off the year. Now, if you want some collections, we've got some great ones coming out this week. Avengers by Kurt Busiek and George Perez, Omnibus Volume 1, better be right there. into my veins. So wonderful. I think by issue three or four, he's got every Avenger ever. It has Ultron Unlimited, which has so many great moments of the Avengers fighting Ultron and has one of my all-time favorite panels, which I think I'm not alone in it, but it's Thor with his shirt ripped and his everything. And you got Iron Man and Firestar and Black Panther and Captain America crashing through to finally take the fight back to Ultron. He says, Thor just says, Ultron, we would have words with thee. It's just like, flip the table. Let's go. Ultron, you're going to get your ass kicked. Over on Marvel Unlimited, we have a bunch of new comics coming to this app. We have some Infinity Comics like X-Men Unlimited 68, which is X-Men Green number four. 
we have Avengers Unlimited Zodiac Key number 27, Avengers Electric Rain, uh, Infinity Comic number 10, Marvel's Voices, The Family Snick number 32, Love Unlimited, Karma in Love number 31, and Alligator Loki Infinity Comic number 16. Yeah, 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 yeah. Also new to Marvel Unlimited this week, Axe Avengers number one. We've got issues of X-Men number 15, Ant-Man number three, Amazing Spider-Man number 10, and a whole bunch more cool stuff. Check them all out on Marvel Unlimited. And while you're there, maybe you want to check out the first issue that we released of Timeless in 2021, or you can go pick up the new Timeless. Why, Jasmine? Because we are talking to the writer of both issues of Timeless, Jed McKay, for this week's Reading Club. Let's do it. All right, Jasmine, it is time for our Reading Club. We're doing something special and different this week for our first of the year. It is a creator commentary and we are delighted to be joined by writer jed mckay hello jed hey guys how's it going super excited because we're gonna be talking about timeless number one this is the preview issue i want to call it a preview but it almost feels like it's a lot more than that it's like a a tease for what's to come in the marvel universe and the comics but also there's a lot of like world building stuff here in the world of kang uh that i'm really excited to dive into with you jed Oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, our, it's our guy, Kang the Conqueror. He's back again. I mean, it's one thing we know about Kang. He can't leave well enough alone. And we're seeing him basically get into another shenanigan this year. And like Kang, you know, history is repeating itself as we have yet another timeless number one coming out. Deja vu. I know, all over again. At the end of 2021, there was a timeless issue written by you featuring Kang with glimpses into the future. And I was going through that issue after having read the new one and thinking about what we've seen in the books, what sort of shifted, what was different, and then thinking about what I know about what's coming in 2023 for us. And like, my brain starts to leak out of my ears as I'm trying to parse (laughs) the time of it all. For you, when they say, was it like Tom Brevoort, editor, saying, hey, Jed, we want you to write a Kang story and set up a whole bunch of stuff? What's that first conversation about Timeless, even going back to the first one that you did? Sorry, before we get started, if you can't if you can't talk about it because Brevor is watching over your shoulder, like let us know. Like blink twice. Actually, I don't think. I mean, I'm in Canada. I don't think Brevor's allowed across the border. So, okay, cool. Uh, you're, I think we're, we're good. Okay. Uh, but uh, you know, yeah, so it's been last year. Tom sent me an email because we've been working together on Moon Knight, and he said, you know, basically we want to do another one of these, you know, preview issues, kind of hinting at things to come. But the big provisos, he didn't want it just to be a collection of previews. It's like, I want to have a, an issue that you know does its own thing, something that stands on its own, that tells its own story. But we can also use it as a vehicle to you know get people excited about things that are happening in the future. So he's like, also it's you know it's forty pages, and we need it as soon as possible because you know for whatever scheduling reason, I was like, oh okay, we'll figure it out. So all I knew is they wanted to do that. I wanted to do it with Kang because I mean Kang's an awesome character. And, you know, he was getting a little more heat at that point in time, as we would later see that next year in, uh, you know, the Marvel TV shows and stuff. So, yeah, that's that's where it came from. They went around the office and collected a document of saying, here's stuff that you can preview. What's also interesting with that issue of Timeless is they're also big on uh, red herrings. So they say, here's some stuff that is going to happen. And here's some stuff you can preview that is not going to happen. And you know, that was in the text in uh, Timeless. We said, you know, the timeline is in uh, 
in, in flux. It's under uh, chronal gravitation. So things that things are happening perhaps in the way that they shouldn't be happening, which you know explains some of the stuff that was previewed. And we had that big two-page spread of stuff that was happening with you know annotations. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, you know, just coming up with ways to tease things that were going to happen and, you know, stuff that stuff that people already knew was going to happen, like, you know, the Punisher taking over the hand, stuff that was like really abstruse. Like there was uh, black spider webs over New York and like the next page, which was hinting towards dark web, which is, you know, just now starting up. And then stuff that just, you know, wasn't going to happen at all. That was kind of your uh, red herring stuff, but also could be picked up by someone if they wanted to. So you can kind of retroactively say like, oh, we were hinting at this all the way back in Timeless. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. But kind of one of the big differences between Timeless 2021 and, and Timeless 2022 is all that previous stuff was just kind of limited towards that one section. You know, that one two-page spread plus like the, a page or two on the other end where we said um, the timeline's doing weird things and here's examples of it. Whereas in Timeless 2022, We've really kind of upped the uh, the preview quotient to a, a huge degree, because every time Kang jumps through time, we see behind him all these, uh, I mean, essentially panels, but flashes of things that uh, you know could happen in the future, and that happens at least three or four times. So it's really chock a block with teasers for the future that I'm really excited about. Before we get into this new one again, there is the final page of 2021 with mm-hmm. the Miracle Man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which still, when I was rereading, I was like, ooh, still gives me chills because we're reading Gaiman and, and Buckingham's Miracle Man, these yeah. new releases as they come out. And they're just, they remain to be so good, even better oh, than yeah. we could have imagined. And so this little tease of it here, are were you a Miracle Man guy growing up? Did you, did you have access to it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, f- I found bits and pieces of it uh, growing up. I mean, it was it was harder to get back in the day, right? So you yeah. you'd be borrowing stuff off people or whatever. Um, but yeah, like it was it was such a piece of work that um, when we were working on time, was you know, and Tom's like a, a guy. He's like, listen, if we're gonna do this, I want to do this big. Uh, I want this to like to really hit like the, the the public consciousness. And I was like, well, that's that seems like a great opportunity for that big stinger at the end. Because people have gone through this 40-page comic, and we want to leave them with something that will just kind of like blow their minds on that very last page. And of course, at the time, I had no idea what any sort of plans were for Miracle Man. But mm-hmm. I'm just like, wait, I, I can put the logo in? Sure. I'm down. Let's do it. Like, let's let's get people talking. That's fun. You kind of get the keys to like the Marvel Universe for like the year, and you get to see what they look like. Like, what was that experience like? Like, any like responsibility, like a huge like lift for you? Like, was it like scary? Was it exciting? Like, it uh, like it wasn't too bad because you know, as as an exclusive writer, I I go to the well the the virtual retreats, right? So um, I'm generally party to a lot of the stuff that is being planned down the line or is coming down the pipe. But this is kind of the first time where I see it in a more final form. And like you know, a lot of stuff we talk about on those big meetings. It's like 60 people in a Zoom room. And a lot of this stuff is very half-cooked at the time. So by the time it kind of came to me for Timeless to start previewing stuff, it was much more solidified and a much better sense of what it was going to be. You know, we knew Punisher's taking over the hand. We knew there's going to be a new Iron Fist. and We knew who it was going to be. So it was interesting seeing what had developed between the time I first heard of it in these meetings and when they're ready to start actually talking about it, like putting on a page uh, for people to be publicly seen. Was there anything that like you wanted to include that you maybe didn't get to include? <laughs> uh, what I, I kind of wanted to include some of my own stuff, but um, 
That's fair. I knew Darren Shan, the Doctor Strange editor, was mad because I didn't uh, put any like Death of Doctor Strange stuff. And I'm like, everybody knows Death of Doctor Strange is happening. He's like, well, you could preview who the new Sorcerer Supreme is going to be. Like, we don't know who the new Sorcerer Supreme is going to be. <laughs> You know, it's, we're we're moving pretty quickly to try to get things on a production schedule to get a you know forty page book out with what three different artists on the go. So I, I just stuck with what everyone else told me they wanted to put in. Well, I was like, oh, I'll call it a day. That's more than enough. We would have had no idea, and I'm glad you brought up the the artist because the artist on the first timeless you had Mark Bagley, Kev Walker, no. and Greg no. Land, and then on the new one, you are joined again by Greg Land, but also no. we've got Pat Zercher and. Um, Salvador Laga. Salvador Laga, yeah. And then Jay... Jay Lyston on... It's peanut butter and chocolate, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but having Pat Zercher in here for some sequences and Salvador LaRocca, I mean, for you as, as a guy who obviously loves comics, it's got to be fun to just be able to tell you get 40 pages, you get three artists, you get to have a wide variety of possibilities in what you want to do for your story. Yeah, like it's really exciting because you're... Like anytime you do a comic, you're putting things out there and you're, you know, looking forward to seeing how that's interpreted by, you know, the, the artists you're working with. Cause it's, you know, it's a collaboration. It's if I'm not the one drawing any of this stuff, I'm just kind of saying like, here's what I hope is a neat idea. I hope people can make something cool out of this. And inevitably it's comes back better than uh, I, I was originally thinking. And especially with uh, Timeless 2022, where we're introducing a whole bunch of new characters. You know, to see those new designs and seeing how each artist is interpreting them. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I want to go back to the Twilight Court a little bit, talk sure. about the designs, talk about who these characters are, because you do add a whole host of new characters to the Marvel Universe and give a, a rival to Kang that um, yep. is, is a real fun foil for him. We see Mirden. Is that how we pronounce it? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Yeah, Mirden is the, uh, it's, uh, the, the Welsh pronunciation of uh, Merlin. Because, you know, this Twilight Court, they were originally, I think, called just Round Table. But I was like, well, that doesn't really sound that great. So, um, you know, there are Arthurian superheroes, basically. Uh, you know, Mirden, the wizard, who is uh, Kang's new rival, basically realized uh, that he needed heroes in order to get what he wanted, both what he and Kang wanted, which puts him in a conflict here in Timeless. And to that effect, he built heroes. He created heroes. So the Twilight Court are all artificially created superhumans. Various combinations of, you know, hyper technology, magic, things like Asgardian DNA spliced into all these characters. So each of them fulfills this role, and you know, all their their names are all derivations or just uh, the names of Arthurian figures or you know figures from the, the the Round Table. Okay, so we have Archer the King, Gale Hout the God, who has one of the coolest Mohawks I've seen. Uh, uh, Daniel we have, really knocked that one out of the park. So cool. Uh, we have Bursalak the Construct. Who does speak? Mm-hmm. We weird, have, weird. Really, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we have Bedivere the Engineer, Lancelot the Star, which I think is such a cool design as well, and yeah. Parsifal the Icon, and probably my favorite out of all of these, Mordred the Witch, who has yeah. one of the sickest designs I've seen come out of a Marvel comic. She looks like she's kind of straight out of that uh, John Borman Excalibur film, which you know, like the a skull cap is a classic design you just never see anymore. It's such a great look. This character, Mirjan, has created his own superhero team. We're basically putting a whole new team out there. It's timeless. It's, it's an oversized issue. It's setting up the stakes for the next year. Want to go big and say, here's a whole new team of characters. That's part of the, the thing about 
working in comics, especially a shared universe like this, it's a lot of fun to put new toys in the toy box. I'm curious about the creation process. Like the fact that they're based off of, like you were talking about the round table and like how they're kind of mm-hmm. iterations of that. Like, was that something that you brought to the table? Was that something that you wanted to bring? Or is that something you kind of like added on to it later? No, that all came straight in my pocket. Um, That's so cool. Yeah. It's, I, like I said, I wanted to have something new for people and we're presented with new characters. We have, we've got their names. We see what they can do. But also, we don't really know where they came from outside of the fact that they're Mirrodin's engineered super team. You know, why do they exist? What is their purpose? What are they going to do? Are they going to be heroes? Are they going to be villains? And we know from this series that they believe themselves heroes because, of course, they're engineered to do so. And we see, you know, differing levels of trust or, you know, distrust in Mirrodin from the Twilight Court. He's created them. He's brought them together. And he has told them that he's done this because the world needs heroes. These aren't people who answered a call. These are people who were created for this role. And you're going to necessarily see differing reactions among these people. If you're, you're created to do something, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to want to do it. And plus, it's just fun to have a bunch of flashy new superpowers. And uh, you know, try out a bunch of new voices. You know, the way Gail Hout talks is very different to the way Lancelot talks is very different to the way Burslack does or does not talk. I like that florid kind of pseudo-historical kind of way of speaking. It's like fantasy way of speaking, like which isn't really how people would speak in history, but it's how people would speak in history in Marvel Comics. Which is why I get such a kick out of it. I mean, most people don't know this about Ryan, but that's how he speaks when he's not on the microphone. I mean, I I believe it. I've yeah. often suspected it. Yeah. Forsooth. I'm not really <laughs> sure what forsooth means. Whoa, um, whoa, let's not confuse our listeners. <laughs> thinking about these designs, you started thinking about the, these characters, mm-hmm. and then you start seeing Daniel Cunha's designs come in, and now you're starting to write them. Do you find yourself drawn to one of these characters and more in particular than the others? Is it just like, you're Mirrodin is, is my guy or, Ooh, I really like Gil Hout. Or is there one that you're like itching to get your hands on more? It's hard to say. I mean, I like, I really like Parsifal in that I like this character who is the perfect knight and his superpower means that, you know, if his cause is just, he will win his fight. And there's something really interesting, you know, character is just so utterly good natured. You know, it's not something where it's a cynical deconstruction of, you know, the hero or you know, the perfect knight. No, he like he's he's just like the best dude. And there's something very funny too when he goes to fight Kang, and you know, the way he speaks, like he doesn't take it particularly seriously because he's you know just just a good hearted guy, and uh, he's going to beat up Kang because that's his job and that's what the king has asked him to do. Similarly, I, I feel like all of them just have. A niche that's interesting to me and i think largely it's just kind of that self-indulgent nature of creating a character where generally you're always going to create characters that you're interested in i like gail hope because she's uh just kind of over the top and like really really jolly kind of god of war i like lancelot because she's kind of a snippy overconfident very full of herself because you know she is the star you know archer is he's, he's the king but he's Someone who is, you know is physically frail, but is also put in the leadership role of this group of you know superpowered people. Uh, I like Mordred because she's the wild card. But even she's not entirely sure what she should do next, but she's willing to do whatever it takes to uh, ensure that the you know the right thing is done. Bedivere is smarter and wiser and more calm than anybody else, and Burslack is just kind of a mystery as a cipher. So all of them, I think, are are really interesting in their own ways, and I can't wait to 
give them the space to develop in the future to hopefully cement their places in the Marvel Universe. I love that you said all that because and one of the things you, you kept on mentioning is that these were all heroes that were genetically created. Like they were created yeah. to be heroes. And I found it just so refreshing that you built, not necessarily built in flaws, but as we learn in this single issue of Timeless, we learn that there are all these flaws in these characters and these ideas or like you were talking about Percival and like how he is like the perfect guy. When we witness that fight between Kang and him, like no. we see what those flaws are. It's so cool watching you write and like almost like write your way out of a corner that you've trapped yourself into with a character like that. Jed is, he's having fun here and it's great. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing too is like we see Kang, you know, basically doesn't, you know, beat his way through the Twilight Court, mm-hmm. but he makes his way right till the end. I think the only one he doesn't directly engage is Archer. But I mean, also, Keep in mind, like it's not that the the Twilight Court are you know jobbers. It's the fact that this is Kang the Conqueror. Kang is you know one of the biggest and best Marvel villains of all time. One of the things that we talked about when we were talking about this issue initially was this is a great primer for someone who's never really read a Kang issue. And oh, you can read this and get a sense of what he's done, where he is. Yeah. Even the like a year later, subjective time, like he's going through things and trying to figure out. Is this where am I in my own history? Um, yeah. So you get that sense of of expansiveness, his powers, his abilities. I thought this was great as a, you want someone to learn who Kang is in a quick like injection into your brain. This yeah. is a good issue for that. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's something I quite liked that just that caption where it's like one year later, Kang's subjective time, where it's like, it's, again, it shows how incredibly self-centered he is. Because I'm not interested in how time is affecting everything else. I'm only interested in Kang's interest in Kang's time. In, in Kang's standard time. Exactly. KST. And the thing is, too, like, Kang, unlike a lot, like, there's few, few Marvel characters who have had such an unchanged look as Kang since his inception. And because things like, you know what, it's it's relatively easy to keep Magneto's costume the same as it was since his inception because it's just a cool costume. Kang's costume is, by any metric, absurd. But it's also incredible, and yeah. it's and it's stuck ever since. Like he's, no one's like, oh, we need to do a a real gritty reboot of Kang's costume. Like, no, put on the thigh highs. Let's go. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Give him the flowy blouse, uh, thigh highs. Yeah, let's exactly. Do it. Yeah, let, let's introduce him reclining on an invisible cushion. <laughs> <laughs> Here for all of it. Yeah. So it's the, and there's, yeah, it's just something I like about that. Like even when I was a kid reading comics. And you see Kang turn up, and he's got that blue face with the stripes across mm-hmm. his head. And like he doesn't look like anybody else. Mm-mm. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, and only because like we've ex- we've shared exchanges on Twitter, mm-hmm. and like we-, we talked about that Dazzler deep dive that you did. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, because like, did you do a deep dive on Kang? And like, what were your like highlights? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I was I was getting well into Kang um, for the previous timeless. Mm-hmm. Though to be fair, doing a deep dive on Kang is a lot harder than a deep dive on Dazzler. I believe uh, just, it just by you know volume. And you know, Brevard sent me some stuff because I'd I'd written Kang previously out of continuity in Avengers Mech Strike, and Kang in that I feel like I may have done him a bit of a disservice, where he's a bit more of a mustache twirling villain kind of guy. But also, you know, that was, it was it was Mech Strike, right? It was mm-hmm. it was you know a toy tie-in comic that was that was out of continuity, so you you couldn't get too cute with it. But coming back to Kang for the first timeless, what always stands out to me is the Kang Dynasty. It's uh, it's such a such a story. My goodness, it's incredible. It's one of those things that kind of highlights the weirdness of the Marvel Universe, where 
Kang destroys Washington, D.C. Like, he raises it to the ground. Like, there's no stone left on top of another. And we just kind of forget that that happened. <laughs> because, all, like, cause, I mean, realistically, we can't reference every single apocalyptic event that's happened in the Marvel Universe because we've put 60-some years of that in approximately 10 years of real time, of comic book time. It's just um, Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. But that's such a story. Like, it's, I think it's probably the ultimate Kang story. Like, he was great in uh, Avengers Forever. But... And of course, it had like my boy, uh, the Master of the World, in it. Um, you know, classic Alpha Flight villain. I, I'm glad you brought up Master of the World as one of Canada's greatest villains because that brings me to bringing up the fact that you got Toronto into Timeless 2022, and mm-hmm. we don't often see a city outside of New York. Probably, you know, like in our big oh, stories, no. it's usually like we, we're like destroying New York City, and and that's the place thing. But we get a a attack on toronto here and i was like ah, mm-hmm. i like that i like see mixing it up and and you being a a, a fine canadian was that a, a specific choice or was that was there a bigger well, story it, reason for that i mean i i always like to put canada stuff in comics because you know i was a kid i grew up in a rural maritime canada you never see canada anywhere in comic books like especially mainstream comic books i was from a province called uh, prince edward island and prior to i put an Alpha Flight story in Prince Edward Island in the Alpha Flight, uh, you know, we, we stand on guard uh, one shot that came out a few years ago. Me and Ned and Zub each wrote one. And they're in my, my home province. Prior to that, it only appeared once when Atuma attacked it in Avengers. And it's it's always fun for me to put stuff around Riley or just like, you know, just Canadian stuff into comics because, I mean, when you're Canadian, it's fun to see your own stuff in there. Like, you know, it's there's plenty of stuff happening in New York, you know? And also, you know, I used to live in Montreal for several years. So if I'm going to have a city undergo a traumatic attack, of course, it's going to be Toronto. (laughs) (laughs) Love to hear it. Love to hear the shade, the Canadian shade. Now that you got to write Kang a whole bunch um, Mm -hmm. across these couple of issues and and dig into sort of the the main Marvel universe Kang, what's the, the thing about him that you most enjoy yeah, I mean, the thing I like about Kang is that, like, obviously he's a villain, but he has a motivation that I think is very interesting and is, if not relatable, at least understandable. Of you know, he wants to be the best. Also, I think Topless Kang is a lot of fun, which is why we had him that way both in Timeless twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two. Kang is like this, you know, it's just this hairy chested barbarian guy, but also sometimes thigh high sometimes a future guy as well i think there's a really interesting clash in these kind of stereotypes that we have this guy because you know he talks about how he you know studied with the finest uh, minds of the future while also killing dinosaurs in the past and eating them kang sees himself as this as the ultimate end product of humanity you know all of its good and all of its bad taken together in just one pure expression of excellence be it barbarism or sophistication they both come together in kang you put it in such a cool way. Like, I, I never thought about it like that with those two ends of the spectrum and how he's just like the perfect specimen, perfect human. That's what I find interesting about him. Obviously, other people are going to have different um, yeah. interpretations. Of course, at the end of this issue, not that we are asking you to speak to it at all. There's a really cool bunch of teases for things, you know, stuff that we know about Sins of Sinister and Captain America Cold War, but like Summer of Symbiotes and then Fall of X and then the quest for the missing moment continues in 2023 and the Avengers. It's just, it's fun. I I like having that sense of fun at the end of the year. You give 
people something to talk about. So it's yeah, it's rad. I think I think I think it's a good time, and uh, I think the first time around we did this, just the way it kind of worked out with the information we had and stuff that was happening, a lot of it was stuff kind of already knew was happening. This time around, I feel like we're really giving people a lot more stuff to chew over and to kind of like look forward with, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. Jed McKay, always a pleasure. Thank you so much, Jed. All right. Thank you. Big thank you to Jed McKay for coming on to the show. Jed talks about, obviously, the timeless issues, so go check those out. Maybe he's got new projects coming up real soon. Here for you, Marvelites. Yeah, 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 yeah. Give me them all, please. Yes, Jed is a delight. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Cara McGurk-Allison. Brad Barton is Pull Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. Jill DeBoff is our Director of Audio. Make sure to email us any questions or if you have the award name over at pullist at marvel.com. You can also hashtag us using Marvel's Pullist on Twitter, Instagram, you name it. Uh, make sure to also rate and subscribe to the show, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Let us know what you think of the show. Yeah. All right. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. And this is Marvel. Your universe.